0: Welcome to Industry Focus, the podcast that dives into a different sector of the stock market every day. It's November 30th, and we're talking healthcare. I'm Michael Douglas, uh, filling in for Christine Hargis, and I've got Todd Campbell on the line. Todd, good to see you. Hey, Michael, how are you? I'm pretty good. It's been a uh, it's been a good week so far, and a lot of news in healthcare. So let's uh, hop right in. We, we figured today would be just kind of a, a quick take on a number of uh, of different uh, stories. Um, let's uh, let's start with Amicus first.
1: Uh, yeah, unfortunately, the, some of the news that we're covering this week isn't isn't. Uh, it's it's
0: always nice when we can be the bearer of good news, right? <laughs> it's a mixed bag this time.
1: Yeah, it's a little bit of a mixed bag this week. Unfortunately, we got we got two stocks that are um, reminding us as investors that we need to diversify, especially when we're talking about biotech. And one of the stocks that you know we're talking about here is Amicus, and Amicus is a rare disease, uh, rare a rare disease drug developer uh, that already has one drug that's on the market, Gallifold. For use in a very rare uh, condition called Fabry disease. Uh, but that drug is only available in Europe right now. Yeah. And many investors had hoped that it would soon become available in the United States.
0: But instead, the uh, FDA is requiring another trial. Um, and uh, Amicus has guided that that's uh, a, a good three year delay for the drug. That, you know, chances are good. If all goes well, we still won't see the drug on the market in the US until 2019 or later.
1: Yeah, this is a real bummer for investors because you know developing these drugs is not easy and it's expensive. Mm-hmm. And you know, the fact that the EU approved the drug and it's been on the market uh, there since earlier this year, um, you know, I, I guess had a lot of people thinking that, hey, you know what? if, if the FDA has been a little bit friendlier in 2016, maybe they will uh, they'll allow Amicus to, to get its drug on the market here too. And while this isn't a huge patient population, um, you know, you're still talking about a quarter to a third of the global Fabry disease uh, po- population residing here in America. So, you know, getting approved here for this drug, which, you know, is an expensive drug, Michael, I mean, you know, $200,000 price tag, um, you know, every additional patient patient can help move the needle for this company.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And, and without, you know, with it... A- a, uh, a trial not complete until twenty nineteen. FDA decision until probably twenty twenty. You know, it's it's a long delay. And and let's face it. I mean, one of the things. So when you when you're looking at a, a company like this, one of my immediate questions is. Okay, cool. What does their cash position look like, and what does cash burn look like? Put a different way, are they going to have to dilute or do something to raise more cash between now and when we'll get this this news? And the answer for Amicus looks like absolutely yes. I mean, their cash position is uh, about two hundred and twelve million dollars. Cash burn over the uh, trailing twelve months, their operating cash burn has been about a hundred and fifty million dollars. Not hard to do that math and see. Um, Potential issues uh, with with funding and the possibility that they'll have to access the equity markets and dilute current shareholders to uh, keep things going until 2020 or later.
1: Yeah, you make a great point there, Michael. Because I mean, the the big the big question is going to be how quickly can sales ramp overseas, right? Because and and I guess what kind of pricing reimbursement are they negotiating in each of these EU member countries? I mean, typically speaking, uh, EU countries are a little bit more reluctant. To pay as much, say as, for drugs as the U.S. Yes. is uh, historically speaking. So, you know, in the third quarter, Amicus had said, "Hey, we've got approval in, in re- for reimbursement in five EU member countries. We've got about 50 patients right now that are on Galifold, and that translates into uh, about translated into about two million in sales. So, <laughs> kind of a rounding error right now. Now, right. theoretically." As more countries sign on and as doctors get more comfortable using Gallifold, sales could grow meaningfully. I mean, to put that opportunity in perspective for investors, the two drugs that are on the market that treat this condition, uh, one is made by Shire, the other by Santa Fe, both of those drugs bring in over $100 million a quarter. Right. And one of those drugs, Repligal, which is made by Shire, that's only available in Europe too. So there's still a nine figure opportunity here, uh, but the big question is, you know, how quickly you know, can 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 sales of Gallifold in the EU grow and will they grow quick enough to prevent the need of like you said, a dilutive offering. So this is definitely going to be one of these stories that we have to watch over the next couple quarters, especially now that expenses are going to go higher because of this new
0: trial. Right. Um, well, and also there's you know marketing expense and things like that. I mean, personally, I'm I'm not confident that they'll be able to contain things sufficiently to avoid accessing um, accessing the equity markets. But of course, you know, we, we don't have crystal balls. We can't predict the future. Um, you know, for me, this is a um, this is. Obviously, very bad news, um, and uh, for for me at least, um, it's it's a little bit too risky for my blood. But you actually own Amicus, don't you?
1: I do, and unfortunately, you know, I, I've lost some money on it. Right. Um, you know, that, you know that's one of the reasons that I think it's always important uh, to capital F foolishly invest where we spread that risk across a number of names. You know, right. if you you're going to have some winners and losers in biotech, this one right now is a loser for me. Um, you know, we'll see how this plays out over time. I'm 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 have no plans of selling it right now, but I definitely want to watch the next couple of quarters to see whether or not what the pace is of this of the acceleration in sales in Europe. So I wouldn't recommend anyone buying it, you know,
0: right now until they get a better clarity into what those that sales trajectory looks like. Yeah, not necessarily a a quote unquote bad news buy. Um, All right, well that's that's good stuff. Thanks for thanks for your take there. So let's uh, let's hop in over to really the opposite uh, end of the biotech spectrum, or the big pharma, actually uh, Pfizer the um, the massive drug company um, closing in uh, in uh, the what's called the PD1 race now uh, PD1 um, immuno-oncology the idea here is um, cancer, Cells are often able to kind of cloak themselves um, from uh, being targeted and identi- identified and targeted by the immune system, um, and so the idea of PD one inhibitors is they basically block that cloaking device. And there's the immune system is then like, well, wait a minute, this thing is bad. Let's let's kill it. Um, and so it's been a really exciting area, um, as you you and I were chatting before the show, and as as you mentioned there, Todd. I mean, you know, immuno oncology is expected to be a Potentially, potentially tens of billions of dollars annually um, opportunity across the entire market just because of just how effective some of these drugs have been um, in treating um, in treating cancer. Um, so Pfizer, kind of a later entrant uh, compared to uh, Bristol Myers Squibb and uh, Merck. Uh, let's talk about uh, Pfizer's new PD one drug.
1: This is a this is a pretty cool area of of advancing technology in how we treat cancer and you know we we talked about pd1s as the ability to to you know be able to help t cells find and destroy cancer more easily avoid mm-hmm. the cloaking system if you will um and and where we find that that could be really useful in, in helping with patient outcomes in cancer is when you know these drugs are used in combination with other drugs that are already effective within these different indications. So uh, there's there is a tremendous amount of enthusiasm that PD1s and PDL1 targeting drugs um, could generate a lot of money on their own, but it also that they could generate a lot of money when used in concert with these other approved medications. Right. As you mentioned, you've got Bristol Myers and Merck already on the market with their PD1 targeting drugs. You also have Roche entering the game in October with a drug called Tecentriq. Which got approved for um, some not use in some non small cell lung cancer patients. And now, uh, sometime next year, it's likely that we'll see Pfizer join the race with this drug, a Avalu- <laughs> I always butcher the name. Pro-
0: pronunciation is always uh, kind of a fraught uh right. here in you know, they- healthcare.
1: Uh, with Pfizer, Pfizer's teamed up with uh, Merck Germany, okay, which is not to be confused with Merck and company, the US-based company, right. on this drug. And the FDA has just accepted their application for approval of its use in metastatic Merkel cell carcinoma, which is a very rare form of skin cancer that has very few treatment options um, and a very poor prognosis. So there's a major uh, unmet need that they're targeting with this drug. And because of that, the FDA is reviewing uh, this drug on an accelerated pathway that could get it on the market as soon as next summer. Um, it won't move the needle a lot for Pfizer because Pfizer is a huge company generating billions of dollars in revenue and the patient population is pretty small, right. but it's important because it gets them in the race for PD1, PDL1. And potentially would then allow them to to uh, expand that label into other indications because there's a lot of trials uh, that are still ongoing evaluating this drug for Pfizer.
0: Right, and and, and that's that's actually um, you know a couple of really uh, good points you made that I wanna I wanna call out here. So the first one is that the initial opportunity with the drug um, is often the the full opportunity with the drug. You know you've got a drug that is good for this one disease and it is good for that disease and that is all. Um, the, the real beauty and excitement, I think, of the PD1s and the PDL1s is that they are potentially, um, and they are certainly being tested extensively, are, uh, used uh, in a, a number of cancers. So it's not just about, oh, this one was approved for non small cell lung cancer. Okay, cool. It's a non small cell lung cancer drug. It's also, well, what about renal cell carcinoma? What about these blood cancers? What about, you know, whatever else? And so there's a lot of potential opportunity with this. And, and that's why investors are really excited about them. Um, and at the end of the day, you know these combos. Given the size of the market, I mean, cancer is an enormous disease, um, and uh, and a, a, obviously a very deadly one. Um, given the uh, diversity of uh, cancers that need to be targeted and fought back against, there's really opportunity here for multiple winners.
1: Yeah, I mean, if you look at the way it's, it's shaped up already, and this is you know relatively yet a, a relatively new class of of cancer fighting mm-hmm. compounds. Um, you've got Optivo sales in the third quarter already clocking in at over, like I think, a 3.6 billion dollar pace. Yeah, and it's 3.6 Ketruda, billion dollar
0: annualized pace.
1: Yeah, annualized yeah. pace. And Keytruda clocking in around a 1.2 billion annualized pace. So you're already generating out just from those two drugs uh, sales at uh, at like a 5 billion annualized pace. And I think some of the peak sales estimates for P1s and PDL1s puts this market in the tens of billions of dollars. Now. As you and I have talked about in the past, Michael, you know, peak sales estimates don't rely on them. Right. Uh, they, they're often wrong. But what we are seeing so far, proof in the pudding, is very strong uptake of these drugs and very good revenue generation for investors from the ones that have already reached the market.
0: Yeah, um, so that's this is definitely good news for Pfizer shareholders. I, I, I would not argue, and I don't think you would either, Todd, that this is thesis changing for Pfizer. Um, because no one drug can really easily move the needle for a company as big as Pfizer, and what the opportunity with this drug is is, you know, as yet still kind of unclear. Because you know, we we only have this these data points so far. Um, and, of course, obviously, um, actual approval is not guaranteed. Uh, the FDA certainly surprises people in both directions sometimes. Um, and so, I think there's there are still a lot of question marks as to kind of like long-term how this fits into the Pfizer strategy. But it is undoubtedly good news, and it's nice to see Pfizer getting into this market and um, and playing with first movers Bristol and Merck and Roche.
1: Absolutely. And, you know, the, you mentioned just we only have the information so far on Merkel cell. Um, there are 11 ongoing phase 3 trials that are either recruiting or not yet recruiting for this drug. So I imagine that if investors stay tuned over the course of the next year, year and a half, they're going to see some more data come out it will give them a little bit more clarity into what the peak potential could be for this drug.
0: Absolutely. All right. So Before we head to our final segment, I um, wanted to call out a couple of things real quick. Uh, first off, um, folks, if you use the Amazon Echo, now you can get the brand-new skill from The Motley Fool. You can get stock quotes, create a watch list, ask Alexa how your portfolio is doing, and best of all, it's free. Um, So for more details, including a demo of how it works, just go to www.fool.com/alexa, and again, that's www.fool.com/alexa. Also, um, as uh, as has been announced on several industry uh, focus episodes, uh, we are working on compiling a list of great investing books um, for. Uh, for the end of the year and to start off your next year, and uh, we'd love to hear your opinions. So if you have a book, an investing book that you love, that has changed your life, that has challenged you, that really in any way has been a good use of your time to read, shoot us an email at industryfocus@full.com. And again, that's industryfocus@full.com, and let us know what you thought, um, title, and uh, you know, we'd also love to to know why why you would uh, include it on our list. With that, let's head on over to. Juno. Now, (laughs) Juno is another relatively small, relatively uh, early-stage biotech that um, has had a lot of excitement uh, about it um, because of its chimeric antigen receptor T-cell therapy, or CAR-T, as we're going to call it from here. Um, Unfortunately, had some pretty bad news in a a trial which caused them to halt it uh, recently.
1: This is this is probably the most disappointing news for I'm not just gonna say investors but potentially for patients too. Yeah, and the reason I say that is that you know that Juno was working on a drug called JCAR fifteen, and JCAR fifteen was being studied in very tough to treat uh, acute lymphoblastic leukemia, ALL. Uh, and, and these patients don't have a lot of treatment options, um, and CAR-T's had been amped up to be revolutionary in their ability to help battle back against, uh, uh, against this cancer. Unfortunately, sadly, uh, earlier this year, uh, there were a couple of patient deaths that resulted in a, a very short trial halt of JCAR-15 back in, I think it was the June-July time period. Um, at the time, Juno had uh, dis- determined that they felt that the deaths had been caused by a preconditioning regimen that they were giving. Uh, basically, what they were doing is they were, t- before you know, giving patients their CAR-T therapy, they were giving them chemotherapy ahead of time to help uh, kill off some of those cells and make the CAR-T uh, more effective and, and of improve the outcomes problem,
0: that way. And of course, the problem with chemotherapy is that it comes laden with side effects, and unfortunately, in this case, two of the patients passed away, um, according, you know, according to Juno's belief, because of those side effects with chemotherapy. So they, they-
1: right in in one one chemotherapy in particular, fludarabine that had been added to um, the preconditioning regimen right. relatively recently. Uh, they were they they told the FDA, hey, let's remove that fludarabine. Let's let's just stick with the one drug that we use in preconditioning. We think that's going to solve the problem. The FDA signed off on it. Sadly, two more people have passed away in the jcar fifteen ALL
0: trial. yeah, um, which is undoubtedly bad news. Um, and you know it's management got out ahead of it, you know very quickly, immediately uh, issued a, a voluntary hold on their trial um, and immediately uh, hosted a call with analysts. And what they said on that was basically like listen, we're not uh, it was pretty clear that they didn't yet have all the data to know exactly what was the issue, um, and so it's unclear whether they're going to move forward with JR, JCAR fifteen, whether they're going to modify things, whether they're going to you know uh, end the end the trial, um, and the drugs development. Um, that's sort of still unclear. Um, one thing they did point out was they do not believe it's a uh, a, a class wide or a uh, portfolio wide effect, and, and the reason that matters is you know if you've got someone. Think about it this way: If if all CAR T drugs had this problem, then that would be a big problem, a big issue with all of CAR T, um, and would uh, have serious implications for everybody working in that, and for you know all the work that Juno is doing. So far, their sense is that that's not the case.
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, JCAR15 was kind of it was an an aggressive program Mm -hmm. um, because when you think about ALL you know, you've got other competitors that are researching their own CAR T drugs, which essentially what they're doing is they're taking out T cells out of a patient's body, re-engineering them so they can better identify and, and kill cancer, and then reinserting them within inside the patient. Okay, so, so you've got lots of different cancers that theoretically could benefit from this. ALL, however, um, has a historically high level of neurotoxicity anyways. Um, the deaths were caused by brain swelling, which has not been evidenced in uh, so far in competitors' uh, CAR T programs. Um, Kite Pharma, for example, is working on a drug, KTEC19, that is being studied in non Hodgkin's lymphoma, typically lower neurotoxicity than you would see in ALL. They also, in the Kite program, are using a much lower dose. Of the chemotherapies in the preconditioning regimen, right? So that could have something to do with it as well. It could be that just J, the JCAR program was just a little too aggressive on the preconditioning regimen versus competitors. Um, I think it's also important for investors to recognize that you know even if JCAR fifteen uh, is permanently sidelined, that's not the end of the road for for Juno. Juno's got a very robust uh, clinical pipeline. Of, of of CAR-Ts uh, being studied across a lot of different um, B-cell cancers. And some of these um, CAR-Ts that are still in trials, that are unaffected by this trial halt are next-generation drugs that are designed to work better and be more targeted than
0: JCAR-15. Right. Um, and so, you know, this is definitely... Um... So, you know, again, if this were a class-wide problem um and and you know, it's not that that's necessarily been ruled out, but but so far, the data on the others indicates, you know, they haven't seen the same issues with these other drugs. That would be thesis changing for Juno. Um, for me, this doesn't necessarily change the thesis on Juno. Uh, but what we really need is more detail. Um, yeah, so, it pushes
1: it back though, right? Michael, I totally. mean, we look at it and we say, okay, well, if they do shelve jcar, Fifteen permanently. I mean, they had hoped that maybe this drug could hit the market in 2018. Right. They shelve it now. Who knows when their first CAR T out of Juno gets to the market? Meanwhile, Kite's still advancing their programs and theoretically could have their uh, drug on the market by the end of next year. So investors do need to realize that it does it pushes back the timeline for commercialization and revenue generation for Juno, but you know that's not necessarily a deal breaker.
0: Right. Um, yeah, and you know. Just as we discussed with Amicus, you know, when you look at, uh, you know, when you have a biotech that's bad news, that that potentially pushes their timeline back. Um, one of my first questions is, okay, what about cash and cash burn? Juno's got a billion on the balance sheet uh, in cash, and so, uh, and looking at their cash burn, they've got a runway, so um, they've got plenty of time to report, um, you know, potentially, hopefully, good data in some of these, uh, some of these other indications uh, and trials um, before, you know, potentially needing to figure out. How else they're going to get? Right.
1: On. Michael, they're burning through about sixty million a quarter right now. So they figure they've shut down jcar fifteen. Who knows if they start up another trial somewhere else, Let's just say that they're gonna burn through about a quarter of a billion a year, you know, at the current cash on hand. That gives them four years worth of cash
0: right. and and you know, they may not even shut down jcar fifteen. So um, there are definitely a lot of different sort of possibilities here. It's really just too soon to tell. Um as for me, um, at least, Right now, I'm not buying Juno, but um, I'm, you know, I, 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 I wouldn't have it on like a sell list personally either. Does that sound about right? I, you know, I want, you know, I hate to hedge
1: and say I think it's watchful waiting, but I think you, you need to just sort of stick it out and see. Okay, where's this going to go from here? How's this going to shape out in our? Is there going? Are, are there going to be any other surprises by other competitors? I, I think maybe what I would do if I was an investor and I was wanted exposure. I might say, I'm going to hold off on Juno right now, but maybe I'm going to spend a little time getting to know Kite a little better.
0: Yeah, I think that makes sense. Cool. Well, Todd, thanks as always. Um, folks, as always, people on the show may have interests in the stocks they're discussing. and um, you know, Todd owns Amicus. Um, I've looked at Juno before. Uh, and The Motley Fool may have recommendations for or against stocks that we discuss in the show. So, as always, and this isn't just true for our show, but this is based on everything. Do not buy or sell or do anything with a stock based just on what you hear. Always do your own due diligence. Um, and as always, uh, it's a pleasure to be on the show. Um, for Todd Campbell, I'm Michael Douglas. This is Industry Focus. Thanks much. Floor on.